Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. All right, friends, we are continuing our study through the book of Romans. This afternoon, we are going to be in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7. I'm going to dig right in here. So I was working a camp about 10 years ago, I guess, and at the camp they had these track times. So some kids would choose they were going to do basketball, some kids could choose they were going to do painting, some kids could choose they were going to do crafts, you know, all different kinds of track times. And one of the track times was camping, and the kids would actually leave that evening and go camp and not come back until the next day before worship. So it was like a really exciting time, and the guy who was leading the track wanted me to come and hang out before they left because I was a camp pastor just to kind of observe and stuff. Well, while I was there, he started to lay everything out about the track time, and the kid raised his hand and said, could I ask a question? And the track time leader said, there will be no questions allowed. I'll tell you what you need to know, when you need to know it. And I was just like blown away. First of all, this guy's confidence because he wasn't all that confident of a dude, but also just blown away that I was watching in real time the propaganda of authoritarianism like being transmitted to children at a church camp, you know? Not really, but it was this crazy moment when I realized that like, Different views of authority have real impact on how we go about our lives. It even had an impact on how he taught his track time with those kids. It was his view of authority that was kind of shaping how he was going to run his little camping track time. And that same thing causes a lot of confusion and a lot of ambiguity and sometimes a little bit or a lot of hostility 
between Christians and especially between those who hold to a certain view of government and those who hold to another view of government. We've seen this play out in really bold, bold terms just a couple of years ago as we navigated the pandemic together as a church and as a nation. We've seen it play out in a few other ways as well, and it is becoming more and more more and more evident as our nation becomes more and more polarized that we have very divergent views of what the authority of the government looks like. And so it's good for us as believers to find out what the Bible says about government and authority. And this text, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7, is the central text in the whole Bible that defines a Christian perspective on authority and government. So with that being the case, let's dig in here to Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. The first thing that Paul's going to ask us to do here is to look beyond the obvious. Look beyond the obvious. Look at verses 1 and 2 here. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So Paul's asking us to look beyond the obvious here. He wants us to be able to see beyond the visible realities of governmental authorities so that we can observe the reality that God is the authority behind the authorities. And Paul lays this out in very clear terms. He says that every authority is from God. In other words, this authority has God as its source. God upholds the authority. God establishes the authority. And every authority is instituted by God. That means that government and governmental authority is not a human idea, but it's a divine idea. This was God's idea. Governments were thought of by God. Humans didn't sit around and have some sort of congressional debate that led to the establishment of governments across the world. No, God instituted government. Right alongside marriage and the family and the church, God instituted government. So Paul wants us to look beyond what we see, to look beyond the leaders we can name and whose faces we can recall, and see behind that a greater authority that stands above and beyond the authorities that we can see, and that's the authority of God himself. And then he's going to tell us why we need to look at things this way. And he says to be subject to these authorities. And the reason is because whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. In other words, when we resist the government, when we resist authority, we actually, our resistance is turned toward God himself. In, in saying no to earthly authority... We're saying no to divine authority, Paul says. Whoever resists earthly authority resists what God has appointed. And then he tells us that those who resist will incur judgment. 
And when Paul uses this word judgment, every single time Paul uses this word judgment, he's talking about, to use a fancy word, eschatological judgment. In other words, he's talking about not the judgment of these human authorities, but the judgment that's going to come once and for all, that's going to be meted out by God himself. So when Jesus comes to establish his eternal kingdom here on the earth, and he judges the elect and the non-elect, and he tells us all our eternal destinies, right? It's then that those who resist authority are going to face judgment. So it's one of the things we're going to have to talk to God about if we do it. We're going to have to talk to God about our resistance to governmental authority. We're going to have to account for that. Now, remember, as believers, we don't have to fear the judgment because Jesus Christ has died for all of our sins. He's, he's redeemed us from all of our sins and he's covered us. He's invited us to be on the right side of God. He's invited us to join him as those who are accepted by God, who are approved by God, who are loved by God in spite of our sin. So when we place our faith in him, we can be confident that he has, he has given himself and he stands as a witness to our belonging to him. In fact, today's Ascension Day. And Ascension Day is really, it's terrible that it's been forgotten. How many of you ever celebrated Ascension Day in your life? Ascension Sunday. Ascension Day was actually earlier this week, but Ascension Sunday is today, and it's the day that we just remember the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's the reason that Nick read Acts chapter 1 as our reading today. And the reason ascension is important because it tells us that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. He's ruling and reigning over all things right now. Jesus is the authority above and behind every authority. And one day, we're going we're gonna to face judgment and we're going to be called to account for all the things that we've done in the body, whether good or evil. And our plea is going to be what? We're not going to start talking to God about ourselves. We're going to point to Jesus. We're going to say, this is my only hope, my only confidence. Jesus Christ has died for me. That's my redemption. But we're going to stay in judgment nonetheless. And this resistance to earthly governmental authority, Paul says, is one of the things on the basis of which we'll be judged. Now he's going he's gonna to ask us to remember something really, really simple. He wants us to remember cause and effect. Cause and effect. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but too bad. Would you like to have no fear of the one who is in authority? Here's how you can have that. Then, he says, do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So the government is the servant, the minister of God's justice, who carries out not, not the government's wrath, not the state's wrath, but whose wrath is carried out by the government here. It's God's wrath 
that's carried out in real time on the earth by the governmental authorities, Paul says. He says that the only reason we need to be afraid of the government is if we do wrong, good will be rewarded, wrong will be avenged. So if we do good things, then we don't have to worry about the government. But if we do bad things, then we do have to worry about the government. And then he tells us that just like marriage, just like the church, government is instituted for our good. God did this on purpose as a gift to bless us and to make our lives better, not worse. So remember cause and effect. And then he tells us in verses 5 and 6, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So now Paul's going to lay out another reason for obeying the governmental authorities. He's already told us because we want to avoid God's wrath, we want to not be on the receiving end of God's wrath meted out by government authorities. In other words, if, you, if you're speeding and you get a speeding ticket, that's God's wrath, not the wrath of the patrol person, right? We're, we're, we're on the receiving end of something because we actually resisted the authority. We determined that we would do things our way instead of the way prescribed by the authorities. And that's a very loose example that we all probably, we all probably incur the wrath of God in that small way, right? But what we're learning is this is actually God behind these edicts, not the government itself. So, and then he tells us that it's not just this wrath that we want to avoid, but we also want to obey the government so that we can have a clear conscience. So that we can have a clear conscience. It says not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. And so he wants us to kind of draw a, an analogy between paying taxes and obeying or submitting to, and we'll, we'll parse that out in just a minute, the government in these other ways. So apparently there were people who were familiar with the practice of paying taxes they understood the practice of paying taxes, but they were struggling with some of these other ways that the government was asking for their subjection. And Paul says, no, it's the same. Just like you pay taxes, you want to respect the government in all these other ways. And then he finishes up by giving a comprehensive view of what it looks like to subject ourselves to the government. We're going to pay taxes, which that's like direct taxes, and then revenue, which is more like indirect taxes like a toll that kind of thing and then respect and then honor so this is this is what's crazy about this passage it it seems to give us in pretty stark black and white terms a very clear a very clear mandate for becoming subject to governmental authorities now, I'm just going to, just a rough poll. You don't have to participate if you don't want to, but raise your hand if you don't like it very much. Any, <laughs> yep. So the clarity 
and the straightforwardness of this passage smacks against our intuition, doesn't it? It, it smacks against, and it smacks against what we understand much of the rest of Scripture to say to us or to direct us toward. So think about it this way. The United States of America exists right now because of a particular way of understanding this passage, doesn't it? If, if the like, original founding fathers of the United States had taken a very straightforward approach to this passage, it would not be possible for the United States to exist, would it? And so there must have been some sort of overriding set of thoughts or philosophies that led to the establishment of the United States. Mustn't there have been? Think about the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement could not have existed with perfect, straightforward interpretations of this passage dictating its every step. So something else had to be going on there. And I want to think about what that something else is so that we can have a, a healthful approach to this passage. So the first thing is, I want to think about this word that Paul uses. Look at the word that he uses in verse one. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he says later that we must be in subjection to, we must be in subjection to the authorities in verse five. So when he says subject to or in subjection to, that's an intentional word choice that's very different from another word that he could have used, which is obedience. So he chooses this word subjection on purpose because the manner in which we're to submit to government is very similar to the manner in which believers in Christ are to submit to one another and the manner in which a husband and wife are to submit to one another or a wife is to submit to her husband or all of these other submissions that are laid out in Scripture. And that's different from obedience because submission is a posture Whereas obedience is a, an act in response to a command. You see the difference? There's a difference between a posture and an act in response to a command. And so Paul doesn't use the word obedience so as that we're to like jump every single time somebody says jump. Or, or that we're to just run and immediately do whatever someone yelps at us. He doesn't use that word obey. Instead he uses this word be subject. So we're to take a posture that recognizes the intrinsic authority that God has vested in the government under which we exist. It's a posture. It's a way of, it's a way of comporting ourselves so that we respect this institution that God set in place. Have you ever heard somebody say, like maybe you've said something that's not exactly uh, respectful about a particular president or something like that. And somebody says, I just, you know, I don't like him or her, but I respect the office. And so I'm going to not blah, 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 blah. Right? Have you ever heard somebody talk that way? I remember when even when George W. Bush was president, he would never go into the Oval Office without first putting on a full suit, right? So he could, be, he could be jogging and then for some reason for an emergency he had to be rushed to the White House. Well, not until he puts on a suit. Like he wouldn't, he wouldn't go into that office without 
first ensuring that even his dress showed that he respected the office. And so there's a way of comporting ourselves that shows that we have a respect for the institution of government. And that's what Paul's saying when he says, be subject to the government. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we know that there's an authority what, behind the authority. The authority of God himself. And so check this out. In the very act of writing this passage in the way that Paul wrote it, he knew that the authorities would eventually see this document. He knew that this would find its way to those who were in worldly, earthly, authoritative positions. And what does he do? He doesn't give them unchecked, absolute, ultimate authority. But what does he ascribe to them? He ascribes to them derivative and limited authority. He describes their authority in such a way that sets them by definition underneath and in submission to the God who instituted their office. And Jesus talks like this too, right? Remember when, remember when Jesus is being questioned by Pilate? And Pilate's like, look, dude, do you not know that I have authority to decide if you live or die? You remember that? And what does Jesus say? You wouldn't have any authority unless my father gave it to you, right? He pulls out the trump card. My dad is bigger than your dad. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's placing authority within its proper context. So he says our comportment should be that of subjection to these authorities because God has set them in place. It means whether we're Republican or Democrat, no matter which team's in office, we still can know that God did that. God wasn't caught off guard. God wasn't surprised. God doesn't have to now go back and, you know, check his X's and O's and call a new play to try to make sure that everything's going to be all right. No, God is in complete control every moment and every molecule in all of history. And he establishes governments and he turns them on their head. God alone does that. But Paul says, just as our comportment is to be in subjection to these authorities, these authorities are to have a particular comportment as well. What's that? Subjection to God himself. So that's the second thing. But what does it look like? How can we know when it's okay to resist and when we need to submit? Because if we're honest, if we're real, there are going to be moments when we're going to have to make that decision. There are going to be moments when we're going to have to choose whether to submit or whether to resist. And we've seen that play out all throughout history. Like I mentioned, the American Revolution, the Civil Rights Movement. We, we've seen it in lots of different moments. We saw some resistance during the pandemic, didn't we? We saw some people who were going to go this far and no further in compliance with the, the rules or the laws that were set in place even during the pandemic just a couple of years ago. And so we have to have a framework for making that call. So I want to offer just a few questions to help us determine whether it's right to resist any particular government at any particular moment. Just a few questions to help us think about it. Here's the first question. Number one, as you determine whether to resist or submit to any particular law or requirement, ask yourself this question, who stands to benefit 
from your specific action? Who stands to benefit from your specific action? Who stands to benefit? If, if you resist a particular law, are thousands of people going to benefit? Are hundreds of people going to benefit? Are children or the helpless going to benefit? Or are you going to benefit? In realistic terms, who's going to benefit from your specific resistance to this law? Because it's very possible for us to tell ourselves all kinds of grand stories about what we're about to do, when in reality we just don't want the aggravation of having an authority tell us what to do in the first place. So the first question we can ask ourselves is, who actually stands to benefit from our resistance, from our action? If the answer is just ourselves or just one or two people, then it may be the case that we're not acting in the interest of the kingdom, but rather in the interest of our own desires and preferences. So who stands to benefit from the action? That's the first question. Here's the second question. When we face a law and we think we might need to resist it, ask ourselves this question. What are the realistic chances of your action serving as a clear witness to Christ? What are the realistic chances of your action serving as a clear witness to Christ? Because there are going to be lots of times when government's going to aggravate us or authorities are going to aggravate us. Listen, I, I would put myself up there at the top of the rankings of people who do not like to be told what to do. There is very little chance that anybody in this room dislikes that more than I dislike it. I do not like it. I, I don't like it at all. So I get it. I understand that compunction to just say no when you're being told what to do. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Does our resistance stand a really strong chance of serving as a clear witness to Christ? Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't stand a really strong chance of serving as a clear witness to Christ, then we can be relatively confident that we're just thinking about ourselves. If our motivation is not the kingdom, then what is it? Is it comfort? Is it convenience? Is it just a desire to not be told what to do? What is driving us? Because if we're going to say that we're, we're being obedient to the king in resisting the government, then our action needs to bear a clear resemblance to the king. It needs to point clearly to the king. So in this particular case, what are the chances that our action would truly serve as a clear witness to Christ. And here's the third question. As best you can tell, what is the motive for your action? As best you can tell, what's the motive? And here's the thing, guys. We're really bad as humans at identifying our motives. We're really, really bad at that. We're almost always gonna, we're almost always gonna either let ourselves off the hook when we have ill motives, 
or we're going to build ourselves up as though we had grand motives. One of those two things is going to happen. We're very rarely going to really dig down and understand our true motives for an action, especially an action that's on this level of a gray area of resisting something that we already don't like very much, right? But as best you can tell, what is the motive for your action? And here's something to help us figure out what our motive is. Remember that you can't be motivated by a fiction. You can't be motivated by a fiction. So if, if you're telling yourself that your motive is to accomplish something, but that thing is not really going to happen, and you know it's not going to happen, then it's not really your motivation, is it? So if you tell yourself, well, I want to take a stand so that you know, all these people will never have to deal with this again, and I can be the person that stops this, I'll, but you know that that's not really going to be what happens because of your stand, then that's not really your motivation for taking a stand. You can't be motivated for something that you know is not true. So test yourself. Ask yourself hard questions. Really put yourself to the test. Is this, is this really resistance in the service of Christ or is this resistance in the service of my own desire for convenience and autonomy and my own disdain for the authority of others? The history of resisting authority is rich and there are many examples of people who have taken heroic stands against governments in order to proclaim a clear witness to Jesus. The stories of the martyrs of the church can go on and on and on. And so the reason that this, the reason that this is important is because there very well may be true need for us to resist the government in the service of Christ. There very well may be true need for us to stand strong in the gospel in resistance to a government that tries to make that impossible. And if, if Christians are in the meantime taking all kinds of stands that they're painting as service to Christ that aren't really, then it's going to start to feel like nothing that we do is legitimate. It's going to start to feel like, it's like the boy who cried wolf, right? If every single time someone tells us something we don't like, we disobey it, then when we try to say that we're doing this in service to Christ, it's never going to ring true. And that's why, that's why I think Paul goes to such great pains to be clear about the goodness and the grace of God that's evident and present in the institution of government, an institution that most of us just don't like very much, an institution that we can, like the warts of which are all too evident, and we can point to government waste, we can point to government foolishness, we can point to government misconduct, we can point to government abuse, we can point to all kinds of things that are going to sour our disposition towards the government. But in the end, when we look at government, we need to look through it to see the authority of God behind it. And our trust in him will determine our comportment toward the government that he set in place. And so Paul's calling us to be those who, as much as we can, in obedience to Christ, 
subject ourselves to the authorities that he set in place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Paul had such clarity. I thank you that Paul had such a bold, such a bold comportment in so many areas that he was able to stand against those who did wrong, all the while encouraging his brothers and sisters in the faith to continue to subject themselves wherever possible to the legitimate authorities that God set in place. God, we pray that you would set over us godly and wise authorities, that you would establish a government that is ordered toward the highest good, which is your glory, a government that is obedient to King Jesus Christ in all things. God, we long for those things. And at the same time, we know that we're never going to see that in full until the coming of Jesus Christ, when every power will bow in submission to him, either gladly or as they fall under his feet. And so we pray, God, that you would send, send your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, send him quickly to come and establish his kingdom and bring it into every unjust kingdom on this earth. For the sake of his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.